Hey, so it's good to see so many of y'all tonight. How you feeling? Everybody good? All right. We're still mingling. That's awesome. Okay. So how about baptisms, huh? Those are pretty cool. Hey, and the water wasn't freezing cold. So like, that's my favorite part. Praise Jesus. Right. And uh, hey, guys, Summit, I know it sounds like a lot of money, 65 bucks. But last year they had to drive five hours, paid 55 bucks, and then had to sleep in a tent. This year, we're only driving three hours and we get to stay in a hotel. You don't even have to clean up after yourself. Right? How awesome is that? And, and hey, it's in Lubbock. So all y'all that are here because you didn't get into tech, you can just live it up for the weekend. I kid, I kid. It's all right. Look, I can make that joke because I went to Sam Houston State, which is a school none of y'all have heard of, right? So, it's not in Houston. It's, yeah, see, it's terrible. It's terrible. All right. Hey, uh, we are so excited that you're here. We're so excited that you made the journey from campus all the way out here. This might be the furthest into town some of y'all have been, right? We're on the north side up here, right? Party. Party on the north side. It's not colder up here. I wish it was. Um, but yeah, we're, we're so glad. Thank you for coming. Thanks for trusting us with your time. Um, tonight, we're going to read out of Mark chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. Mark chapter 4, verses 3 through 20. We're going to skip a couple in the middle, but that's okay. All right. Or if you're you know, not super holy, then open your Bible app on your phone or Google it, right? I'm just, I'm just an old curmudgeon. I'm basically an 80-year-old man in a 36-year-old body. And so I, I, I like my Bible, you know, like I just like to have it in paper. All right, so everybody ready? Here we go. This is Jesus speaking. He says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let him hear. And we're going to skip a couple of verses. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, uh, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble and persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you that you love us, Lord. Thank you that you chose to come down in a body and, and live with us and speak to us, Lord, and, and share your heart with us and show your heart to us, God. Holy Spirit, we give you the right and the authority to speak to us, Lord. We want you to be the king of our hearts. We want you to change our hearts and minds as you see fit, God, and we give you that right. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, late in life I got into gardening, right? Because I'm not good at anything else, right? I figured that I could throw stuff at dirt and then pray, right? Because that's essentially gardening, right? And so um, one time, I think the greatest thing that I ever grew was actually on accident, okay? Like, I legit had a packet of sunflower seeds, right? And I wanted the unroasted ones. Anybody else do the unroasted raw sunflower seeds? Anybody else? Okay, there's like one person in the back who's weird like me. Okay, amen. All right, so... Right? So I had some of those. I was getting out of my car, and apparently I dropped one, like, right next to our driveway. Right? And this thing sprouted, like, against all odds. Right? I didn't even care about it. Just, like, whatever. It's there. Right? It sprouts, and it grows into a sunflower. Okay? So my daughter at the time was, like, five years old, I'm going to say, maybe four. Okay? And this sunflower was her world. All right? So if you can imagine... Maybe I'll get to interact with her at some point, right? She'll be running around after service. She's basically made of rainbows and unicorns and glitter, okay? Like, that's, that's my daughter, okay? If you want to sing all the songs in Tangled and Frozen, just ask her. She'll sing along with you, right? She's got them all memorized. Trust me, I know, okay? So she's, like, super girly. And so this sunflower was the most amazing thing in the world, okay? And this thing, like, it didn't matter that it hadn't rained for, like, four years, right? It didn't matter that I didn't care about it. It didn't matter that it was next to the driveway. The thing just would not die right? It just kept growing, right? I had a garden, an actual garden on the side of my house. Everything in that is dead, right? It's basically like bursting into flame, but this sunflower keeps going. It grew to be over six feet tall, right? It grew to be taller than I am. It was just one random sunflower next to my house in Huntsville, Texas, right? And it was the most important thing to my daughter, right? We're driving past the house. We're leaving the house, going. She's like, there's my sunflower. There's my sunflower. Okay. So this thing is there for months. It's a part of our lives, right? It's a part of my identity as a human being, right? I'm the guy that somehow fostered the sunflower. Okay, and we go out of town for a couple weeks because we're traveling at the time. So I leave lawn maintenance up to my brother-in-law, okay? You see where this is going? I did not specifically tell him, leave the sunflower because it's important to us, right? I, I didn't think that I needed to because... What would possess a person to mow over a six-foot-tall sunflower? (laughs) Who looks at some, like, work of art, some beautiful thing, and goes, nah. (laughs) Right? Like, what kind of monster does that? My brother-in-law is the kind of monster that does that, right? We come home, and we're like, we got home late, there's no sunflower, right? Just, oh, no. Right? And we're like, oh, goodness. What do we tell Finnegan? What do we tell my daughter, right? So we like sneak her in the house, put her to bed, and hope that she forgets because she's four and has the attention span of like a hummingbird, right? And I text my brother-in-law like, dude, did you mow over our sunflower? He was like, yeah, I thought it was just a weed. (laughs) In what horrible world do you live in that that's a weed? Right? Anyway. Like, oh, look at these terrible rose bushes. Weeds. What? 
Okay, so we told him, like, hey, that was, that was Finnegan's sunflower, right? And he wants to maintain top dog, like top uncle status, right? So he's, he literally begged us, please don't tell her I did that. <laughs> and she doesn't know until she hears this, right? This is how she's going to find out, right? Her world's going to collapse. She'll need counseling. It'll be fine. She's my kid. She'll need counseling anyway, right? <laughs> right, but I'm convinced that that sunflower would still be there if it weren't for my brother-in-law, right? That's my, that's my gardening experience right there. That, that is the most success I had gardening right there. A sunflower that fell out of a packet, right, that I intended to eat. Okay, so I'm not like an expert gardener, right? But to the people that Jesus was speaking to, they were all agrarian. They were all expert farmers. They understood these concepts. So when Jesus is talking about this stuff, they understand it on a level that we don't, right? Because we think, oh, I need fruits or vegetables. I go to H-E-B, right? Because we're Texans, and that's what Texans do. We go to H-E-B, right? Amen? <laughs> the loudest amen I get is H-E-B, right? Have you tried their homemade tortillas? I know they're like not homemade, but oh, come on. Oh. Praise God. Right? I'm convinced. I'm convinced the manna that fell from heaven while the Israelites were in the desert, they had to have been HEV tortillas. Had to have been. All right? I'm going to justify that biblically somehow. I'll figure it out. Anyway. Right? So we think we go to the store to buy stuff. Right? But these guys, they had a, an innate understanding of gardening. Right? They had an innate understanding of how to make things grow. And so this stuff would ring on a level that doesn't necessarily ring for us. Does that make sense? Are you all with me? Okay. Um, so I'm going to unpack this. Even though I just read where Jesus unpacked it, right? We're going to unpack it a little bit more, right? Because there's about 2,000 years of cultural space that we need to fill in the gaps of. Does that make sense? You all, you all with me on that? Okay. I was also told this week that I say the word right a whole lot when I speak, and so now I'm really self-conscious of it. Right? Okay. If you want to cross-reference, this, this story, this parable, appears two other times in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 13 and in Luke chapter 8, right? And there's slightly different variations on that, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. That comes from... Greek meaning one eye. Like, so they're kind of similar points of view there. But you can cross-reference and get all kinds of like, details out of it if you want. right? Uh, but we're just going to focus on Mark because Mark is the gospel written for ADD kids. Amen? Amen. All right. Okay. So Jesus preaches about ten major parables. right? We have about ten major parables recorded from Jesus' mouth. right? But this one gets the most attention. Right? He spends more time unpacking this than anything else. And I think that we should spend more time looking at it than anything else. Does that make sense to you? Right? So Jesus says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? So we're going to try and understand this parable. Right? It's about four soils. Right? One good and three bad. Okay? And so we're just going to walk through the different soil types and see what we can pull out. See what the Lord says to us. Does that sound good? Okay. Look, I need a lot of feedback. So, you know, those of you that come from some of the more like frozen chosen churches, loosen up. It's okay. You can say amen or thumbs up or whatever, you know. Uh, I only ask that you don't like throw fruit at me. Like it's, you know. Right on. There it is. Okay. 
Okay, so the first soil we're going to talk about is the path or the wayside ground. Okay? So this soil, Jesus talks about it and says that it's the, the path that people have walked on. Right? He describes it as being, as, as being people that hear the word and don't understand it. Or that Satan takes it away. And in Luke's version, he says Satan takes away the word quickly. Right? So these are people, like, this type of person, the wayside ground has been trampled on. Do you know what I mean? Like, wayside ground or path. Have you all, anybody here like to go hiking? Yeah. Right? You know, you know a hiking trail, it's like smooth, you know? It's because of years and years of travel, right? Hundreds of thousands of people have walked on that ground and beaten it down. And that's some of you here, right? You feel like the world is just trampled on you, Right? And you get pressed and pressed and compacted and crushed. And that's the wayside ground. Right? There I go again. Dang it. So these type of people, they're hard. They're hard. And there's two types of hard that I kind of think there's two types of hardness in the world. Okay? So one, I just call street hard. Right? And the other, I call church hard. Okay? We're going to talk about those. All right, street hard, it's awkward. I don't know how else to say it, right? It's just, I could say like secular hardness, but nobody would care, right? It's, what is that word? Why are you speaking like this? Okay, but we'll just go street hard, right? It's a hardness that just comes from the world, right? So a street hard person, you've met them, right? They're people that have a cynical attitude, a critical spirit, right? They've built up this armor on the outside, You see that? They use an ironic distance from everything. Everything is experienced from an arm's length away because they've been trampled on and they're not going to be hurt again. Do you see that? See, this person feels like the world's taken advantage of them. They've hurt them. They've taken advantage of them. And they refuse to be duped again. Their motto is, I ain't nobody's rube. Right? If you're this person, you're going to be a person that's hurt and bitter and independent. See, what's happened is that you got hurt and you didn't forgive. Somebody somewhere along the way walked all over you. And then you didn't forgive them. And in order to protect yourself, survival instinct, you had to make your armor strong. Right? And so what you do when you get hurt and you get bitter is you build armor around yourself. You're like that ground. It's packed down. It's hard. You can't break through it. Right? And then you use your critical attitude, your cynicism to drive everyone away. Because it's only a matter of time before someone else hurts you too. But here's the problem, is that deep down inside, if you are a person that is like the wayside ground, you know that you can't live like this. You know it's not sustainable. The very first not good in the Bible is when Adam is alone. God seven times says the world is good, but then he says it's not good for man to be alone. You see that? Because you're not made to be alone. You're made to be in relationship. God made you 
for relationship with himself and with others. You can't live by yourself. You won't make it. See, and then what happens is that you've built up this external armor, and then everything inside you dies. And eventually you're just a walking shell of a human being. You're nothing but armor and cynicism. Because you refuse to allow the gospel of Jesus. You refuse to allow God's love to break through. Do you see that? And all you have to do is lay down your arms, take off that armor, and let God heal you. That's it. And the scary thing is, is that God's primary method for doing that is people. And people are the very thing that hurts you. And I get it. I've been hurt too. Everyone on earth has been hurt. Jesus himself was hurt. Remember when he was on the cross? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He forgave too. And you can. Right? The Bible tells us that we are made in the image of God. And if God can forgive, then that means you can. You are made to forgive. Do you understand? So instead of going contrary to how you were made and keeping your world small and tight and lifeless, you've got to open up and let go. I promise you the people that brought you here, they intend nothing but good for you. They would never intentionally hurt you. I trust them to be a safe person to open up to. And allow God's light and love to shine into your heart. Can you imagine how good that's going to feel? To finally let go. See, being bitter, I've heard it said, is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Don't fall on a sword of your own making. You don't have to. The second type of hard is church hard. And it's the one I personally have the hardest time with. Right? I'm going to be honest, I didn't grow up in church I'm not a church kid. Um, I got really confused uh, when I started going to church late in life. Like, started going to church when I was about 17 years old, right? I remember being in, in like, the, uh, in the Bible study for, like, the older young kids or whatever. I don't know what you call them, right? And I remember being really confused why Noah built an ark because I thought Noah was Moses and he could split the water. I'm like, what? Why didn't he just split the water? Why is he building a boat? This is stupid. Right? embarrassing (laughs) right but this church hard person right is somebody that that maybe grew up in church and walked away or maybe they're still in church right now we've all met those people right those grumpy people in churches right they're probably the reason why you don't go to church right they're like that's my seat like i thought this was god's house what are you talking about i don't see i don't see your name god's name's on the building that's right It says Jesus right there. Anyway, it's all his seats. Anyway, right? We've met that person. They're church hard, right? So this person typically has been hurt too. But usually they've been hurt by themselves because they have unrealistic expectations or misplaced expectations, right? And I want you all to remember this. Here's here's something to remember. And we're going to repeat it a lot around here, right? Unmet expectation always leads to disappointment. 
Unmet expectation always leads to disappointment. Right? So this person, right, they, they feel like that they've either been hurt by the church or maybe they feel like even Jesus has hurt them. Right? Can I, can I just pause for a minute? There's an image that, that the church likes to use of Jesus. Right? They call him the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Have some of you all heard that before? So the time that Jesus is called that directly happens in Revelation chapter 2. And the writer of Revelation, John, he turns when he hears, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He turns and he sees a lamb. Not just any lamb, but a sacrificial lamb that has already been slain and sacrificed. That's no lion. You understand? Jesus is an innocent slain lamb he has done nothing to you and given everything for you he is innocent he is innocent you understand that problems that you have come by other people's selfishness the hurt in your life comes from others not walking with jesus that's the great problem of the world right but that was kind of an aside so What happens with church hard people, right, is that they've gone through the motions so much. They grew up in church. They know this thing, right? They've gone through the motions so much. They know what to say. They know what to pray. They know what scriptures to quote, right? They've done it before, right? And so externally on the outside, they look just like Christians. But on the inside, they aren't. They just are not. So the problem here is not the armor that they build up around themselves like the street hard person. But the problem here is immunity. Right? Anybody heard of this thing called vaccinations? It's been in the news lately. I hear there's like some, some like talks about it. Jonas Salk thinks they're a good idea. You should, anyway, down with polio, right? Anyway, so, nerd jokes, ha! Anyway, um... There's like nursing majors that are like, oh, he knew that. But yeah. So do you know how most vaccinations work? Okay. Excellent. Okay. But essentially what happens is you either get a weakened form of the virus or bacteria or a virus or bacteria that is so similar to the real thing that your body can't tell the difference. So like smallpox is one of the most virulent diseases in the history of man. I think it's the number one killer in all of history, right? And the way that you're vaccinated against smallpox is you actually get cowpox, right? You get cowpox and your immune system can't like spell. It's like illiterate. And so it's just like, okay, got it, right? And then you're immune to it because the outer protein shell of the virus of cowpox is so similar to the outer protein shell of smallpox that your body can't tell the difference. But the DNA on the inside is vastly different. One will kill you, the other won't. And being a church hard person is like getting cowpox. You get the thing, and you think you have it, but you never really die to yourself. And what this looks like is somebody that loves God for their own sake. This is the greatest plague in the history of Christianity. Right? And what that means is like, maybe, maybe you pray 
because you don't want God to punish you. Or maybe you give and you donate and you put your money in the offering bucket because God's going to give you that pressed down and shaken together and you want it back for yourself. Right? Or maybe you're nice to the people around you because you don't want to make God mad. Maybe you, maybe you, you read the Bible like you should because you want God to bless you and reward you. Do you see that? Everything you're doing is either to avoid punishment or to gain reward. And the difference there is that you are still the center of your life. Some preachers call it the religion of hope and fear. You hope for reward and you fear punishment. But you are still the center of that. You have the same shell, but your DNA is different. And the answer here is very simple. God's got to be the center of it. All right? So most of us get stuck in this phase because we love God for selfish motivations, right? Or we love God for the wrong reasons. But I'm going to tell you something that, that will save you tons and tons of study of the Bible. Okay? This is going to save you hundreds of thousands of hours. I'm not kidding. Okay? This one statement. You ready? Like, you won't even have to go to seminary now. Okay? Like, you want forget Bible college, seminary. I got it. Right? After this. You ready? God has a right on your life. That's it. God has a right on your life. And it's not founded in anything he does for you. It's founded in who he is. Right? So what that means is some of us here maybe love God because he loves us. Right? Or some of us here love God because he saved us. Or, or because he's so powerful. Right? Okay. So, but let's put that in human terms. Okay? Like, we love God because of all these things he does, so that gives him a right to boss us around and tell us what to do, right? But if we put that in human relationship terms, it doesn't make sense, okay? So, uh, single ladies here, right, don't raise your hand because we're not going to make it that easy on the guys. (laughs) Sorry, fellas, you got to work. I had to. All right, so... Ladies, imagine that you have a boyfriend, right? And he's like big and strong. He's almost as big and strong as Adam Hernandez, right? He's like jacked and ripped, right? And like, like any girl, love you, bro. Anyway, like anybody that looks at you wrong, he just hits them so hard they disintegrate. They just like their skeleton falls out of their body, right? Like you're walking across the street and a car's about to hit you. He picks it up and he throws it to the moon, right? He protects you from everything. Does that give him a right to tell you what to wear? Heck no. Right? Okay, but but wait, wait, wait. That's a little weird, right? Because that sounds a little abusive, right? It's a little too close to that abuse line, right? What if if a guy loves you? Okay, what what if he loves you so much? He's like writing poetry about you all night long, constantly mailing you love letters. and, And like you wake up every morning to a shower of rose petals, right? And all night long, he's stacking gifts up outside of your window. And, and he's like John Cusack and playing In Your Eyes on a radio outside, you know. In your eyes, the light, the heat, your eyes. Right? Does that give him a right to tell you how to cut your hair? Mm-mm. Taya's all like fired up about this now. My hair is beautiful. Right? That's ridiculous. Okay, how about another level? When I was 10 years old, I had an autoimmune disease with a ridiculous name because, of course, it does, right? It's me. It's called Kawasaki's disease, right? 
And no, it's not from riding too many jet skis. I really wish it was, because that would be a great way to go. But never see somebody upset on a jet ski, right? Everyone's always smiling on a jet ski. Yeah. Money can't buy happiness, but it can buy a jet ski. Right? Anyway, no, it was a terrible disease where my immune system was attacking my heart. Right? And, and my parents sat down with the doctor, and they were like, you have 72 hours with your son. I was 10 years old. I was in a hospital for three weeks. Right? I almost died. I mean, like, laundry list of organ failure. Everything was failing. And then this one doctor named Rebecca Walker, right? She, for some reason, figured it out. And, and all she had to do was, like, dose me up with, like, some steroids, and, and I was fine. I lived. I stand here today because Rebecca Walker saved my life. Does that give her a right to tell me who I can or cannot marry? No, but she saved me. See, the problem, if you love God because of reasons that he does, right? Because of things that he does, when you perceive those things to have stopped, you will cease to love God. Bottom line, how many of you have heard somebody say, well, I thought, I, I thought God loved me, but then this bad thing happened to me. And they walk away from Jesus into the darkness, never come back. How many of you thought that yourself? Because you have to love God for who he is. Man, pick up the Gospels. Pick up the Bible. Read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 and tell me that that person isn't worthy of your love. Just because of who he is. The man that met that woman at the well that was in terrible relationships. Embarrassing her family. Ashamed to her community. What did he do to her? He loved her and he blessed her. That woman caught in adultery, what did he do? What did Jesus do when he caught that woman, when that woman was caught in adultery and brought to him? What did he do? He bent down in the dirt to draw or write to distract attention from her. And then he defended her. Are you telling me that that Jesus isn't worthy of your love? That that Jesus isn't worthy of your life? He is so good. That's why he deserves you. Because he's the lamb that was slain. You get it? You see it? Isn't that awesome? So the wayside ground, point number one. I got a little bit off my notes there. You're either street hard and you need to forgive and let go. Or you're church hard. You need to surrender. That's it. The next ground, point number two. I'll be faster, maybe. The rocky ground, the rocky soil. So this soil is nutrient-rich, right? It's not compacted, right? But Jesus says that the seed takes root and it shoots up quickly, right? And the sun comes out and it scorches and it dies. Jesus says that they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but then affliction and temptation and persecution comes, the sun. And they just wither and die. So let me ask you this, number one, is, is the sun bad for plants? Now, we've all graduated from elementary school, we know that, right? 
We all grew those weird little bean sprouts in cups, in plastic cups in our windows. You know what I'm talking about. And there was like that, that one kid where you just like, you couldn't figure out why his plant was dead. You know? Like it came out brown and crooked. And you're just like, Billy, what are you doing? You just stick it in a window, add water. I don't understand. I don't know. Maybe they're using San Angelo water and that's the problem. Who knows, right? Amen. Amen. Anyway. Right? But sun, sunshine isn't bad for plants. So this is another tangent, and it'll be short. Persecution, affliction, and temptation is not bad for you. Let me ask you, maybe we can ask Adam, how do you build a muscle? You stress it and strain it, and then it gets stronger. So persecution will come. It will happen to you. But it's not bad. It doesn't mean God has abandoned you. He's just letting a little bit of sunshine on you. It's not going to hurt you. Unless you have no roots. Unless you have no roots. See, the problem here is that these roots, because there's no depth, they go laterally. They go out, horizontal. Right? And this is the type of person that feeds off of the approval of people around them. Right? It's the culture that, they, that they're in. That's what they adapt to. So the danger with this person is that they, con- they don't convert, but they conform. Does that make sense? They don't convert, they conform. They adapt to the social customs around them. They say the right things. They wear the right clothes. Sometimes they'll even pray the right prayers. But it's only because they want to be accepted by others around them. You see that? The roots go out, not down. So remember that box garden I told you about that I had? You know, the the sunflower, which was awesome, right? But then there was my awful attempt at gardening, right? So I'm a missionary. Believe it or not, we don't make a lot of money, right? Like if I could be Kenneth Copeland for like five minutes, I'd double my annual income, I swear, right? Like I want my own jet one day maybe, but anyway, stupid joke. Okay, so... I couldn't afford to make a proper garden, okay? So literally what I did was I bought pallets, flipped them over, and then filled it with dirt. So the soil was maybe four inches deep on a good day, right? And so I was out there like every freaking 30 minutes just watering, watering, watering. They need so much water to grow, right? Especially in the summer where it's like a bazillion degrees and the sun is actively trying to kill you, right? Kind of, y'all are probably too young, but there was a level on Mario, like on the old school Nintendo where the sun would actually try and kill you. I'm like, that's just a Texas summer. That's just a Texas summer, right? You walk outside and you're like, oh, geez, okay, get, get in the car, right? Okay, but the water, that rainwater, that's acceptance, right? That's your approval that you seek, right? So maybe, maybe you join small group because you want to belong. Maybe you join the church because the pastor is really cool, right? We know that's not the case here. Amen. <laughs> but the bottom line is you follow God not for yourself, not for him, but for others. Because you want them to like you. The problem is... It can't rain forever. That acceptance at some point will stop. And it's not the fault of the weather conditions. It's because the soil is bad. 
every plant life cycle has a point where the rain stops. And it's okay, unless the soil is bad. Does that make sense? So you can't blame your environment. When you start to feel like people don't love you like they should. Because I'm here to tell you that no amount of acceptance will fill that hole. How much approval do you really need? How much is enough? You get the acceptance from that one person, then you want it from another. And it's a drug, and you can't stop. You need the constant rain. So the way you get out of this is to give up your rocks. Dig them out. And it feels foundational. That's the thing, is that it feels like these are foundational things. But if people don't like me, who am I? Right? But here's the deal. Here's something really beautiful about this, right? Is that there's something about that acceptance that's actually true and good. Um, I'm going to quote from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, right? I, I encourage you all to get on Amazon and click on the Use Books tab and buy Mere Christianity. You can get it for like two bucks, right? Shipping included, okay? Just go do that tonight. Amen. All right. C.S. Lewis says this. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. That acceptance that you desire will only be satisfied when you hear Jesus say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And you can keep on throwing the words of man into that hole, but that hole is God deep. Do you understand? The next soil that we find in the parable is thorns and weeds. Right? This actually sounds pretty good. There's no rocks, you know. It's not beaten path. But there's thorns and weeds in there too. Right? So there's this biblical interpretation principle called the law of first mention. Right? So when you see the Bible mention something repeatedly, the context that it's first mentioned in is the way you need to interpret it the whole time. Okay? And we can, there's more seminary I saved you. You're welcome. Anyway, um, the first time that we see thorns and weeds mentioned is after Adam and Eve fall in the garden. They rebel against God and God says, by the sweat of your brow, will you work the earth and thorns and thistles will grow up. So these weeds that maybe are growing up in your garden, you didn't put them there. They're just there. It's a fact of life. Now that we live in a broken world, it's just going to happen. So these things pop up, right, in your life. And they're the cares and the burden of trying to survive. You understand? Like Jesus describes these people. He's saying these people hear the word. In Luke, it says that these people even go out and, and scatter seed on their own. But then they're choked by cares, worries, riches, and pleasures, and the desires of life. And then they get choked out. 
See, these things are not necessarily bad. It's not bad to have money. It's not bad to care about things or to enjoy things. But they have to be in their proper place. They can't be the thing that drives you. Does that make sense? It's just like um, if I have a fire in my fireplace, I'm having a good time. If I have a fire on my couch, I'm not having a good time. (laughs) Right? You have to keep these in the proper place. The concerns of life, your grades, careers, significant others, expectations of society, expectations of family, they all grow up and creep onto the throne of our hearts. It's like a vine, and you constantly have to prune it back. If you don't, eventually it's going to choke out the word of God in you. See, and here's the even scarier thing, is that Jesus is a complete and total gentleman, right? If you don't want him on the throne of your heart, he'll leave. And he won't make a fuss. In Revelation, it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Not, I blow a Jesus-shaped hole in the wall. (laughs) Right? He has every right to be the Kool-Aid man. Just, oh yeah, right? (laughs) But he doesn't because he's good and kind. So if you ask him to leave, he will. Because he only wants to be where he's welcome. He wants friends. But he has one condition. He's an all or nothing God. Have you ever seen that bumper sticker that says, Jesus is my co-pilot? Every time I see one of those, I just want to tear it off the car. Like rip it off the, rip the bumper off, you know? Like, what is this mess? Jesus ain't nobody's co-pilot. The only proper way to have Jesus steer your car is if you're in the trunk. (laughs) See what I'm saying? He wants all of you, and he will settle for nothing less. He thinks that much of you. There are no half hearts in the kingdom of heaven. So these weeds will continue to grow until you develop the disciplines in your life that you need. Disciplines of prayer and devotional life. Disciplines of opening your heart to other people and being in relationship. And also, taking responsibility for the people around you and their walks with God and sharing with them the things that Jesus is speaking to you in your times of prayer. And until you develop those disciplines, you will constantly struggle against the cares and the worries of this world. You will have to be constantly vigilant to weed your garden. Right? I know when I had that garden, it was so frustrating because my neighbors were not great. They mowed the lawn like once every six months. You know what I'm talking about? Like you have to go in there with a machete. And weeds were constantly blowing over the fence into my garden. I didn't do that. Why are you ruining my garden? I can ruin it on my own, thank you very much. (laughs) But I had to constantly be out there and pull weeds as they sprouted up. And that's that discipline. When you spend time with Jesus, when you read your Bible, when you read books about him, you think thoughts about him, when you spend time in fellowship with one another, loving one another in your small groups, 
and when you care enough about each other in your small groups to not let weeds in each other's gardens. You tracking? And lastly, as the band comes up, the good soil. We finally made it, all right? Jesus says it yields 30, 60, 100 fold. So here's the problem, right? Here's a problem I have with this, right? You ready? This is my griping hour, okay? You have to sit there and listen to me complain. My problem with this is that so many times we think of fruit spiritually being like, oh, I have to be Billy Graham, right? I have to be the preacher. I have to lead people to Jesus because that's what spiritual fruit is. But that's not what the Bible says. You know what the Bible says fruit is? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Your yield is the character of Jesus. That's your good soil. Is you look more and more like Jesus every day. Right? Because Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is within you. Right? There's no like flag, there's no country, there's no passport, but it's in your heart. So the kingdom advances as far in your heart as you allow Jesus to develop your character to be like him. Romans 8.19 says, All creation waits and groans for the revealings of the sons of God. That means the whole universe is waiting for you to be more like Jesus. The stars are shining because they want you to walk like Jesus. The sun is sending forth warmth into the world because it wants you to forgive like he forgives. Does that make sense? So your yield of 160, 30 fold is to follow the great command that Jesus says, be holy for I am holy. And you can do it because you're made to. Isn't that incredible? Just by spending time with him, you can be like him. Because that's what you're made for. All my friends that got baptized, you're on that road now. Every day, you should be striving to look more and more like Jesus. To forgive like he does. To love like he does. To give dignity and honor to those around you like he does. So, as the band plays, here's what I want you to think about. So let's go ahead and stand up. Yeah, we'll stand up. You haven't been sitting down for too long. I'm sorry I talked so long. Here's the deal. Up the front, for those of you that aren't church kids, right? Like, I remember being in a worship session, worship service, and seeing somebody raise their hand. I'm like, you can't ask questions right now. What are you doing? Can you hear them singing? Anyway. Right? For those of, those of you that don't know what's going on, I feel for you. This front area is the altar. This is the place where you come to meet Jesus. It's, there's nothing magic about this spot. It's just there's something about you physically getting out of your chair and walking down here and praying that shows Jesus you're serious, right? It's just an outward symbol. Just like getting baptized doesn't make somebody saved. 
but it's an outward symbol of something that's happened on the inside. So here's what I want you to think about. And if the Lord's speaking to you, come up front. Right? And if you're embarrassed, grab somebody, bring them with you. They'll come with you. Don't worry, nobody will think you're dumb. We all think this is a good idea to meet Jesus, okay? I'll give you a high five on the way down if you want. But the question is, how do we become good soil? Well, we must prepare the soils of our own hearts. If you've been beaten down and trampled upon, well, let go of your hurt. Forgive. The Lord's speaking to your heart right now. He's put, he's put his finger on you. I believe it. Right now, he's saying, this is the person you need to forgive. I challenge you to do it. If you're church hard, it's time to put Jesus on the throne and stop worrying about yourself. Come down here and surrender. And say, God, I'll get in the trunk, you drive. For those of you that care about what others think, come to the altar, bring your friend, and pray that you'll feel the acceptance from Jesus that you long for. He will not fail you. I promise. And those of you with the cares and worries of the world, come to the altar and start pulling some weeds. Surrender to Jesus those things that you are so concerned about. And watch him show up time and time and time again 